0: Message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Again, we like to do expository preaching here of going verse by verse. Uh, Genesis is one of those books that's kind of hard to do that with because we literally probably be in Genesis for uh, three or four years. It's a really, really long book. And what we can do, though, is take different sections of it, and we can begin to discover, okay, as we go verse by verse, these truths that uh, that we find that really can be life-changing. And especially as we uh, introduce this whole concept of sovereignty, one of the things that we're going to see is that, that that is kind of the antidote to life's unfairness. Now, I have a question for every parent here. If you're a parent, every question. How rich would you be right now if you had one dollar bill for every time that your children said, that's not fair? (laughs) How many of y'all would at least be probably at least a a thousandaire, a hundred thousandaire, you know, that you're going? The Eastmans, you know, with your kids, but I know, but I don't know that your kids say that because, you know, you, you, you train them well and maybe that's one of those things. But, you know, we would have a lot of money, guys. But here's the thing, you know, our kids sometimes say that's not fair. And I'm not picking on you kids, I really am not on that, because we don't really grow out of that in adulthood. We just may not say it out loud. I mean, how many of you have ever complained at something at work and you said to your spouse at least, that's not fair? Yeah. I mean, when you fill out on April 15th, if not before, every time you do your taxes, you go, that's just not fair. And so, so we kind of take it into our adulthood, but to be very, very serious with you and, 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 and not so much the joking part of it, guys, as adults, we have all seen things that just don't seem to add up. Some of the most saintly people that we know that seem not just to get a hit, a second hit or a third hit, but they just get hit time after time after time. In your, there is a part of us, even in our faith, because we're forming our faith every single day. It's not a finished faith yet. The work is finished. But are you finished? No. He's constantly sanctifying us. We just read about it. You're sanctifying us. You're, you're molding us more and more into the image of Christ. Molding us more and more to have this mind of trust and faith. But we're not there. And what will throw a grown adult off faster than anything else is when we see what seems to be life's cruelty leveled at somebody who's really a very trusting Christian, a very saintly person. And, and, and we ask, not so much to God, but we ask about why. That's just not fair. That's just not fair. See, it's not just the children's problem. It's not just, hey, he got three and only got two. It's not just the back seat of the car. You know, when he's sitting on that side and I want it that side. I called it First. It may start in some childish things, guys, but we grow up and, and all of a sudden we're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and we find out, you know, it may not be arguing about the back seat anymore and who gets the left side or the right side or who gets three and who gets two. But we begin to argue about well, why did they get the raise and I didn't? Why did they get the promotion? Why did they get the job and I didn't? And all these other things that happen in life. And, and yet the one that kicks at the heart the most it's when we see that a tragedy in somebody's life, and we're going, God, that's a praying woman. That's a praying family. That's a faithful family. <laughs> they have helped hundreds through their times of grieving, and yet you have brought grief into their life time and time and time again. That's what Genesis 37 through 50 addresses. Simple fact is, and we're going to lo- learn four really basic truths this morning from this, these 11 verses. And the first one is life is not in this present world is not fair. And if you're expecting fairness, then then you're really you're kind of walking a path that is really not a biblical path, because you know the Bible says that life in this broken world, this is not God's fault, okay? We're the ones that broke it, and so now we're kind of living with the results of that brokenness. Christ has already fixed it, and yet it's something that we have, and yet we don't have in fullness yet. And so until that time, we deal with unfairness, and we deal with brokenness, and we deal with things that always seem a little bit unjust. But here's what I want you to understand. This is a fact that life is not fair. It's not a matter of debate or discussion in these chapters. Genesis 37 through 50 is not a discussion, should life be fair, It is not a discussion about, you know, is it really fair for this to happen or not? It's not a debate or discussion about fairness in life. Rather, it poses two questions. And here's the application for the next six, seven, eight weeks that it takes us to, to travel through this. Question number one, how do you personally respond to life's unfairness? And number two, whom do you trust in life's unfairness? Your own ability to be scrappy and just make it through the next day? Ultimately, that even when you can't see the signs of God, you can't see really, you know, the, the works of God that you trust in, in, in that blind faith. Those are the two questions that are real life, guys. How do you respond to life's unfairness? And who do you trust in life's unfairness? See, as we go ahead and, and, and settle a life in this world, that this, uh, life in this world is unfair, we can actually move on to those two questions. If you're still dealing with this initial, well, life shouldn't be unfair, you're never going to be able to progress into how do you respond and how do you gain in trust. I've done enough counseling over the years to know that that's where people have been, some people for 20, 30 years. And when they would share their story guys, you would say, "Oh, I can understand, because the, de- the, the depth of their hurt, you're going mean, I can see where there's just kind of snag- stagnant back here about this was unfair." We're not arguing, is life fair or not? Well, Genesis says it's not fair. But if that's still the debate, I I plead with you, I plead with you, accept that as biblical truth in this present world. Accept it as biblical truth, because that's the only way that you can get on to answer then these two questions. Because once you accept that life in this broken world, in this fallen world, in a, in a a world that has been introduced to sin because of our own disobedience to God, once we get to that point, then we can say, okay, how do I respond and who do I trust? And that's progress and, and that's maturity and and that's how we go from Monday to Tuesday and Tuesday to next week and next week to next month and, and on with the years of our lives. But if we can't get past that, and please hear this with the grace and the sincerity that is that it is meant to, to be in. you will be stuck in helplessness and bitterness. Some of the most bitter people I know. Friends, neighbors, and everybody would say, you, you know, they, they have a reason to be bitter. I mean when you see the tragedies of their life, when you see the hurts of their life, there's a reason why they're bitter. It's not a discussion about if you have a reason for it. Accept that fact that and understand this eternal truth that even in all this unfairness and that all these things that seem to be so unjust there is a sovereign god who truly is reigning over us and for some that's going to be a, a, a big step for others it may seem like an impossible journey but i promise you guys we will live out if you've been treated unfairly in life at some point in time you have two choices. And one is to stay there and become bitter about that and argue about its injustice or to go on and say, "Okay, how do I respond? And and how do who do I trust? How do I remain trusting in God when I really can't see his fingerprints on this? I can't see the end game." And this is something that as adults, we actually do worse than children. <laughs> What's when they're saying something's unfair, it was he got three and I got two. You know. The end game is okay, break your one extra one in half so that you both have two and a half. In life's injustices, unless the boss calls you in the next morning and say, you know, really you should have gotten a promotion. And I gave it to so and so because they are the boss's son. And uh, so you know, but but you know, hey, here's a check for fifteen thousand dollars. I hope that solves a little bit of your pain. I'm going, man, I'm feeling good all of a sudden. I'm kind of numb about that pain right now. And, and so, but that doesn't happen in adulthood, and so what happens is that we just kind of harbor there, guys. We, we, we sail that boat in that, into that bay, and we kind of harbor and sink anchor. There is hope in this passage. There is hope in this series. That when we can't see God's hand, that we can say, okay, God, you are taking even that which was meant for evil and working it for your glory and for my God, my good. And, and I'm just going to trust you, even when I can't see that. Let me prove this with Scripture. We don't have to read but the first two verses of chapter 37, and we begin to see what I just described in action, as far as this unfairness and how you can just kind of Boat your, you know, or or pull your boat into that harbor and anchor there and and never be able to sail again. Uh, Let me give you a little family tree first. Can we put that first one? You may not be able to see this real, real well. Uh, I apologize. In fact, I cannot even see it from from here. But anyway, uh, those two ladies at the bottom, Hagar and Sarah, that's Abraham with them. Uh, they have a son each, Ishmael and Isaac. And, uh, and so then, they, then Isaac marries Rebekah. Rebekah has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Uh, Jacob then marries Leah. Uh, and then Rachel and then Zilpah and uh, Bilah are two handmaidens that, that he has children with also. And this is kind of the family tree, starting with Abraham but going up. And eventually we get to the top there and what you're going to find there are the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, this, this is kind of a fundamental understanding as we come into chapter 37 to know that there's been a lot of generational hurt already going on. If you remember, Abraham kind of gets ahead of God. God says, trust me for a son, and he waits years and years and years and years. It doesn't happen. So he does take the handmaiden, Hagar, and they have a child. And the world, honestly, truly, to this day, has never been the same since. There's been division in this world ever since those two sides. But then it doesn't stop there. Look what it says, Genesis 37, 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the uh, the sons of Bilah and Zippah, his father's wives. Question, how many sons does Jacob have? There's 12. I can raise my foot and get the other two. Um, So there's 12. There's 12 sons. Uh, In fact, go to that other slide. The other one that we have? Yeah. Okay, let's go here. Can you see that a little bit better? Plus, all the men just instantly woke up. Hey, there's pictures. You know? <laughs> okay, so we have Jacob. And he marries Leah and Rachel, Zippah and Bilah, okay? And they're the, the servants, okay? And they have, you can see there, Leah's uh, sons and daughters and uh, are, are the sons there. And then you can see the sons of Zippah. And then Joseph and Benjamin are the sons that he had with Rachel And then Belah had Dan and Naphtali. Okay, so we have these, and it's one of those, this is the family that's assembled together. And for y'all that, you know, if you haven't been raised in church and you're going, man, I'm overwhelmed already, just follow the theme, okay, here. Verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. And in verse 2 he says, these are the generations of Jacob. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. How many does he mention in that verse 2? Have you ever been that child? Oh, not the one that was mentioned, but the one that wasn't mentioned? Uh, just raise your hand and just kind of hear if you have a uh, sister or brother, if you have multiple sister or brothers, okay. Uh, keep it raised if you thought your mom and dad had a favorite, had, if they just had a favorite. Okay, keep it raised if you thought you were the favorite. That's what I thought, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that, okay. <laughs> now all of a sudden, you know, there's all these hands up, and then all of a sudden they all go down. It's like, okay, we will do therapy after the service this morning, okay. Can you imagine, I mean, we're going to see some really dysfunction in this family, and it starts from the very beginning. Because it says, here's the heritage, here's the genealogy, here's kind of the generations of Jacob. He has 12 kids, and they mention one. But it's even a little bit more complicated than that. Some have said, well, you know, Pastor, that's just literary style. Not when you're the other 11. I mean, it really isn't. When you're part of the other 11, I don't care what purpose you're going, okay, I, I, I forgot. I mean, all of us have been, if you have multiple siblings, you have been called the other name. You know, even if it's male-female. I was called my sister's name sometimes and vice versa. We certainly have done that. We have two girls. And just yesterday, Ashley, Bethany, I mean, one of you, you know, the daughter that's here in front of me, I'm talking to you. And, and so even, you know, you know, 20 plus years into it, you still kind of make that mistake. But here, it's not a mistake of just calling them by the wrong name. They are, these 11 are actually left off here. And look at verse 3. If we had any doubt of why this was, it's confirmed in verse 3. Now Israel, Israel is God's name. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. So Israel and Jacob are the same person, okay? So Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than he did the other sons because he's the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Jacob, Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, And all of a sudden we see dysfunction and we see the reason why he was preferential. It wasn't just that these other 11 felt that way. The Bible says Jacob loved this son, Joseph, more than he did the others. And guys, there's a reason for this. You 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 begin to look back and it says that he was the son of his old age. But so was Benjamin. Why didn't he love both of them? supremely or more you know more than the other ten the bible begins to unravel this kind of very dark side of this very very biblical family and what we begin to see here is that there had been generations of favoritism given to one child or the other again we can go all the way back to abraham abraham gets ahead of god he has a son but then when he has, you know, with, with the handmaid, but then when he's able to have a son with Sarah and God begins to deliver upon his promise, he favors that son. All of a sudden, that son begins to have children. Do you remember the story of what happens when Jacob goes out to, to find a wife? Anybody remember that story? He goes out and he finds a wife. And he falls in love with her. He's kind of afraid of his brother Esau because they didn't get along together. Why? Because mama loved one and daddy loved the other one more. And so there was this favoritism going on even in Esau and Jacob's life. Jacob's brother Esau comes after him. He's, he's really fearful that his brother's going to kill him. He goes off to a foreign land or to a land to kind of find some peace. And he goes to this house, uh, a man's house called Laban. And he goes there and he falls in love with Laban's daughter. Her name is Rachel. And he loves Rachel. And they work a little deal. And he says, okay, the father says, okay, I will give you Rachel's hand of marriage. You can marry her if you work for me seven years. He works seven years. At the end of that time, they have a wedding. They have a big wedding night. Next day, <laughs> he finds out, that ain't Rachel. Anybody remember her name? Yeah. Leah. Surprise, surprise. Life is not fair. You work seven years. This is, but it's in the contract. Rachel. No, again, I'm going to give you Leah. So then they make an arrangement. And they say, okay, you work another seven years, and then you'll actually be able to marry the, the, the one that you really want to marry. So he's worked 14 years. Life's unfairness. When they begin to have children, he begins to, I mean, naturally, he loves the children that he has with his true love. You can say, well, that's just not right. You need to treat all children the same. He worked for seven years for one lady. He didn't get that lady. He got tricked. He got kind of fooled. He works seven more years for the lady that he truly loves. He begins to have children with her. And in his later years, he already has children with this other one. If you notice, she had more children? And that was God, the Bible says that was because God, you know, because of uh, since Jacob didn't treat her really fair. I mean, she could tell. She could tell that he did not love her like he did Rachel. And so God says, look, to kind of compensate for this, I, I, you know, I'm going to give you more children well, what do you think Rachel felt when this one has five or six children and she hasn't had any children yet because it came in the later years? Do you see the complications here, men and women? And you thought your family was messed up. <laughs> Here's the point, guys, in, in all seriousness. Generational sin is a real thing. The hurts, if not corrected by grace, by God's Love, by understanding, by coming to a place of finding security in Christ, they go on for generation to generation. You can go talk to police officers, you can go talk to uh, psychologists, you can talk to to teachers in school. It's an amazing thing. The very kids that are abused as a child statistically are enormous numbers statistically to come back and to be abusers of themselves. You would think it would be just the opposite that any child that was ever abused, would they would steer clear of that. And yet what we find statistically, they come back, generational sin. It goes on and on and on. And it can happen in so many different ways. Here it has happened to this very holy family. I mean, this family is like the all-stars. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. I mean, these are like the pinnacle of the Old Testament. And yet what we find is... There was favoritism from the very beginning, and it was learned, and it was learned, and it was learned. Look at Genesis twenty-five, twenty-eight, real quick. Jacob's dad, Isaac, look what it says. Isaac did what? He said he loved Esau. He's got two sons, and he loves. Now, if you're Jacob, now, again, we're doing we're Jacob is whose father? Twelve different people, but Joseph's father, okay? I'm going to try to bring all this together. But did Jacob grow up in a home where both parents are just kind of doting on them and both are equally loving them? Or is there favoritism in the home that Jacob is growing up in? Hey, Dad, go see your mama. And really, that's where Jacob, Jacob was a mama's boy. How much of that was already learned? How much was that preference because he liked cooking and different things like that that his mama was doing. And Esau was the outdoorsman. He was the one that would go out there and wrestle bears and stuff like that. Now, how much of that was learned and how much of that was kind of in there, we don't know. But we do know this. There was a different, uh, definite favoritism that, that went on. And when you put all that together, you begin to see the complexity of his family. Joseph is growing up, get this, three because remember there was two handmaidens, three stepmothers, ten stepbrothers, one brother and a stepsister. And a dad who shows favoritism because he, when he was young, his dad showed favoritism to his other brother too. That's the point. I'm not trying to go on endlessly with this. I just want you to understand this foundation of chapter 37, what we're getting into, because when we begin to see this unfairness and how we see Joseph reacting of it, we begin to see life is unfair. In this broken world, it's unfair. And generational sin, point number two, generational sin, if not corrected by the grace of God and the hope of Christ, will continue on and on and on. Jacob complicates things even more by giving his son a coat. And this coat is a coat of many colors. And you know we've always focused on that. And, and that is an important part of it. Because back in those days most of the dress was. Especially for families like this. Was pretty drab. Uh, it, it cost a lot of money to get dyes of red and blue and yellow. And, and different colors like that. And so it was that was a very special coat. But really significant of this coat. Is that it was long sleeved and was down past the ankles. Now, why that is significant is because back in that day, it was part of the culture that most people wore short sleeves and would come down to your waist. That's what 99% of the people would wear. A person of authority would wear one that had long sleeves and go down past the knees. That's the guy that's up there giving the shots, telling the orders, what to do. And this coat, when we go back to the original, yes, it was of many colors, but the real significance that Joseph receives this coat that says from the very beginning, okay, not only are you the special son, but you're kind of the son that's going to be an authority. You're set apart from your other brothers. Now, the other brothers, the other 11, would have known this. Okay, number one, we didn't get a coat like that. Ours are brown, thank you, and gray, thank you, dark gray. brownish gray and grayish brown, thank you very much. We didn't get the special coat, but we certainly didn't get a coat that showed that it was a place of authority. On top of that, we all of a sudden, look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. These other 11, they, they hated Joseph, and they would go out of their way to avoid Joseph. And there was this aggravation that was happening. And when you begin to see all this, you begin to see that complexity that happens. And then all of a sudden, it gets even more complex. When you think, okay, it really couldn't get darker. It really couldn't get more muddled than this. Look what happens in verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, why do you ask? Why do they hate him even more? They already hate him. Now, they hate him even more. Look at verse 6 and 7. It tells us, he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field. You know what a sheave is? It's a collection of all the wheat. They bind it together. They kind of stand it out there. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheave. Okay, can we show that picture, Jeremy? Okay, these are sheaves. And he said, here's the dream that I had. And this dream is from God, okay? This isn't just Joseph saying, hey, let me give you a little inside track of what's going to happen here. This is a dream from God. And his sheaf is standing up in the middle, and all these other sheaves, the brothers, are bowing down. Now, okay, you're already the favorite. We can say, Joseph, that's really immature that you would go do that. But guys, think about it. Even though we really see this good side, we we really don't see a sinful side of Joseph through this pattern. What we see, he's used to being the favorite child. You can say, that really wasn't wise, sharing this dream with your brothers. Joseph sees himself as somewhat untouchable, guys. When you are the favorite, when you know you can get away with murder, and that somehow your parents are still going to blame it on the other 11 children? That's the situation. So he shares this, and you can only imagine what they are saying in their minds. Why, you little. It's more and more complicated. Just for good measure, in case they misunderstood, let's look at verse 8. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? You know, this is kind of what we take out of this dream. This is how we interpret it. How do you interpret it? Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to, 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 to rule over us? So they hated him even more. Three times that it said that they hated him. And if this wasn't enough, he stirs the pudding a little bit more. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. So now we're including mom and dad. Second dream that's really significant, when Joseph is a dreamer, he's going to have a lot of dreams. That's how God kind of gives him some vision for what he has in store for his life. And you will notice as you go through chapters 37 through 50 that these dreams come in pairs. Both of the dreams are confirmations of God, but the second dream is this confirmation where God seals it and he says, this is definite. this will happen. First dream, here's the vision. Second one, I seal it, this will happen. Guys, this is all of God. And yet we can question the sanctity and and the wisdom of, of Joseph to go to his brothers and say, you know, by the way, I know I'm a favorite, but you're going to bow down to me one day. Everything about this is kind of dysfunctional. Everything about this seems off-center. And so we come to this place in verse 10, where even Jacob, Joseph's father, says, you know, son, that really wasn't all that bright. Look what it says in verse 10. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And yet Jacob realizes this is of God. And look what it says in verse 11. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept saying the saying in his mind. Here's what's happening, guys. And here's where we're going to stop. We're going to look at four truths from this. All we're doing is building a foundation. First week, please come back next week. First week is always information. Second week, we can start getting into inspiration. Okay, how, we, how does this inspire us to live? But we have to lay this groundwork. And I hope I have not bored you to death by trying to give you these genealogies and all this stuff. But it is so important to understanding the whole rest of the story. Even his father comes up and says, you know, I don't think it was really wise. And do you mean that even your mother and I will be bowing down to you? Do you realize what you're saying here? And yet all of this is of God. And yet it caused even more strife. Four things that we learn here, guys. Number one, life is unfair. Life in this broken world is unfair. Any arguments to that point? I mean, we, we live it out. Number two, Generational sin is real. But we don't have to be victims. What we have to do is deal with it. And part of dealing with it is coming to that first step of saying life is not fair. Because if we want to argue the fairness of life, then we will sink our anchor in that harbor, and guys, you'll never set sail in any other seas. I promise you. And my heart hurts for people who 20, 30, 40 years of their life They've been in that harbor, still arguing about the unfairness of what happened when they were five, seven, nine, eleven, fifteen, twenty-one. This is not coming from an uncaring heart. This is not coming from a, a, a heart that says, just this is a fact. It comes from a place of truth and seeing people, sadly, just staying there in their lives. So, so life is unfair. Generational sin is real, but we have to deal with it. Number three, unattended sin has a direct family uh, effect on our family. Let me say unattended, not unintended, unattended. If you don't deal with sin in your lives, dad, mom, from your past, it will start to filter down. It has an effect. We see this. Three generations, Abraham to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, some of the best people, hall of fame of faith people, I mean, they made it in New Testament. They made it to the hall of fame, of faith. And yet there's dysfunction, and we see that it goes from generation to generation, and it travels along the same path, favoritism. Number four. God is sovereign over us. In the midst of all this chaos, all this hurt, How many times did it say that his brothers hated him? Three times. They hated him. They hated him even more. And then that third time, and they hated him even more than they just said in the last verse. A lot of dysfunction, a lot of hurt. And God doesn't wash over that in a way of just uncaring guys. But but what we're going to see in Genesis 50, 20, is that God is working his purposes. Here's the hard part, though. We have 13 chapters of unfairness before we get to Genesis 50:20, and then we get one verse, one verse, that says, You've been it for evil, but I have worked it for good. Now, guys, let me just kind of be blunt with you. That stinks. <laughs> whether you're Joseph, whether you're you, that things when there's 13 chapters of unfair, 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 and it goes on and on, and then God just kind of wraps it up with this theological Genesis 50:20. It was meant for evil, but I'm working it for good. And yet He is. And yet He is. This is our choice, guys. Well, baby, I'm a thinker. Pastor, I, I, I'm not quite as simple minded. I can't just kind of take this one little verse, Genesis 50 20, and look at all the downside of life and all the unfairness of life and all the cruelty of life, and I just can't. I understand. I understand. I'm in that battle with you, folks. It's called humanity. Why? Because life is unfair. But if God put 13 chapters of good and how he's prospering and he described all of that to equal out 13 chapters of bad, would you be any more satisfied with the bad? Here's the thing. Sometimes in life, guys, there may be event after event after event after event and you're going, where is my God? He's there in Genesis 50:20. He's there saying... It was meant for evil, but I will work it for my glory and for your good. And you may not see it today and you may not see it tomorrow, but folks, as we finally get to Genesis 50-20, many weeks from now, we'll see this was the preservation of God's promise to Abraham that you and I now enjoy because the birth of Christ comes through this genealogy and God has a plan that reaches all the way to the end of Revelation. That's our only hope. You take one incident out of your life and, guys... We have reason for despair. We have reason for upset. We have reason to say, God, that's not fair. And that's where we have to go, okay, God, there is, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand by you, but will you give me a grasp of what it means that you are sovereign, that you are working everything for your glory and for my good, and that you have a, 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 a timeline for the ages, even though I'm having to live on August 5th, 2018, and what I feel right now is just a lot of pain and confusion. I feel like it's unfair and I'm trying to do all the right things. I go to church. I'm kind. I, I do all these things and yet I get the end of the stick. It's always the short one. It's really hard when you're living out part of the 13 chapters to trust one single verse, Genesis 50:20 you and I have an advantage and then we're going to sing, we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to go home. We see that God has fulfilled this through Jesus Christ. He didn't. Joseph is just doing the right thing. He just keeps on doing the right thing. We're going to see week after week. He goes, and he hasn't even seen Jesus yet. He doesn't know the fulfillment of that. You and I, we've been able to see at least this promise come through through the victory of of jesus and so we have something to bank our faith on all joseph has through this whole thing is a verse that hasn't even been spoken yet that's not to make you and i feel bad it's just to understand and this is a guy whose life is really worthy to be studied let's pray together this morning father god thank you for this day father thank you as we start this series and father today i there's uh, so much information just built in a platform. And yet, Father, this is important for us to understand what's the complexity of this life of Joseph. That he's not being born into a, a, a home where there is not upset, he's being born into a home where there's friction from day one. And there have been generations of friction. And there has been generational sin passed down, even from these very faithful men of God. They were faithful and they were men of God, but they were not perfect. And the hurts of their lives carried on and were passed on to their children. Father, will you assure us that even though you may not give us an answer today or tomorrow or next week, that you are working things for your good and in your glory and for our good. Father, if we're in Genesis chapter 37 or 38 or 39 or 40, Father, will you by faith take us to Genesis 50-20 and let us hold on to that just in faith? And by your very Holy Spirit, Father, by the empowerment of your Spirit within us, will you confirm that in the light of truth on our dark days? Father, I pray for those that have dealt with, are dealing with, will deal with generational sin, Father, the hurts of of moms and dads, grandmas and granddads. They can trace it back, Father. I pray that you will help them seek out counseling and and help and biblical truth and your grace and your victory to be able to overcome that and put a stop to that so that their children will not have to live out some of those same heaviness and, and, and hardships. And, Father, as we sing this song as our final prayer today, I pray that you will write upon our heart, Father, just the truth of it, and that we will be able to sing loudly and in faith what we found in your scriptures this morning. We love you and we thank you. So we pray all these things in Christ's name.